coming up on this episode. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely at one point, you know, when my attorney was like, hey, you have to prepare for anything, you know, and I was what like, does that mean? That like, means, like jail? I mean, yeah, jail, like people chasing me, cartel chasing me, oh my God. You know, like attorney fees, like I literally, okay, this, this is what in my head, right? This is what I'm preparing for. Okay. Death, death in prison, <laughs> bankrupt, right? Wait, death. death in prison isn't worse than death? <laughs> yeah, because death in prison, you get raped and then killed. Right? <laughs> so when you shoot the commercials and stuff, are you doing like full director of like everything? Yeah, so basically the agency, like let's say Nike comes to us and yeah. says, hey, we want you to advertise like a shoe. Right? Yeah, yeah. With LeBron James, and it's going to be the lightest shoe ever that came out. Okay. Um, so they would give us a brief, right? Just like any company or whatever. They say, like, this is essentially what we want to do. Yeah. And then what our agency would do is our creative team would basically come up with an idea. So we would be like, mm-hmm. what if we had a cloud in the shape of LeBron's shoe, like a real cloud across <laughs> the air, you know, or like, you know, what if we had all of a sudden, we had a game in at like in space, yeah. A small game in space, and everyone was wearing these shoes because it was so light. They just kind of like float in space. Like we would come up with those ideas and we'd like visualize it and Photoshop it and create a whole deck presentation and say, "All right, so you know, we set it up and try to sell it." And if they, if Nike says like the idea, then they say, "Okay, we like it. Here's like you know five million dollars to make." <laughs> uh, hire the directors and the whole team and yeah. companies and make it come to life. That's crazy. And then, so do you do all the in-house or do you find the creatives to make it happen? Yeah, no, we, we somehow sometimes outsource to like, if we want to do like virtual reality, you know, there's not yeah. how to do that. So we would hire those companies or directors or, I mean, if we want to make a shoe, we'd have to like hire a shoe company, you know? That's insane, bro. You're doing it. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. not, that's not even the typical Asian path. I mean, yeah. stereotypical, I would say not typical, stereotypical from the, the parent side, but it makes so much sense knowing how creative you are. So you said you didn't find out that stuff until college. Right. So in college, so growing up when I was like 17, right? Yeah. I'm 38 now. So at 17, I started so dancing. Young. <laughs> so, yeah. At 17, I started dancing, right? 15, 16, you know, yeah. just messing around like a kid, practicing like martial arts and stuff <laughs> like that. And then just pretending to be celebrities, you know, like Michael yeah. Jackson, whoever, like the dances. And then eventually, um, I like started learning, like actually watched Usher's, like one of his videos and he did the glide and I learned it by watching the video. I was like, oh, I could do this. And so I went to college, started a dance group, you know, and then in college, like in that dance group that I started, you know, because it was more focused on storytelling. Right, right. We would enter like dance competitions and we won through our storytelling. And then that's how I like got into design because I liked visualizing movement and stuff. And I was collecting comics and played magic. Before. <laughs> I, had, I was like a big geek too, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I was like the combination of comics with movement through dance and storytelling. I was like, oh, I want to get into design and art, you know? Do so, you, I think you, you draw too, don't you? Like by hand? I do, yeah. I, I don't draw as much anymore, but it takes a really long time for me to draw. Like it'll, I'll take like a month to draw something. Were you always creative like that growing up though? Not from a like, I want to be a drawer or an artist. Yeah. I was surrounded by that type of culture because my brothers collected comics. You know, we watched yeah. like Transformers and stuff. So like it was just around me. And then growing up in the ghetto, because I was born in Oakland, like yeah. I, didn't have, I didn't have toys to play with. I played outside in the dirt, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like you sculpted like blobs of transformers and was like this is optimus prime so <laughs> kind of like a part of life versus i am right right even now i don't consider myself an artist really 
you're so creative and it makes sense because when I watch your concept videos, mm -hmm. I would say they are one of the few, by definition, true concept videos for dance, right? It's not just, you know, a wide angle on a gimbal and flying around, right? Doing a piece like you, I mean, you're, yeah, I'm thinking back at watching your pieces now and just being amazed because it wasn't just dancing. It was like a whole visual experience. Right. Like how long does that take for you to come into your mind and then actually do it? Cause I feel like the execution is the hardest part sometimes. It is. The execution is probably like 75% of it, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause we are now, you know, innately we're just dancers. So we're going to dance yeah. the best we can and we can't do better than what we can naturally to do. Right. So right. in terms of from beginning to end, I think, I think in terms of that with dance, I'm definitely more on the artistic side. Yeah. Um, so the, the concepts kind of come in basically wherever I'm at in life, you know, like there's some videos where I'm just having a blast. Right. And yeah. it's like, I have, these friends of mine that are doing this, this clip of like showcasing my house, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. San Diego, or like there's a, there's one where I have like this puppet routine. That's I love like, that piece. Yeah. Like I was a very dark period in my life, you know, and I didn't realize that hmm? I didn't realize like that's, but it makes complete sense that you would draw from your life during those times to make those videos. I thought it was just like, Oh, I think a puppet idea is a good idea. No, not at all. So I mean, many layers. That, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what resonates to, to you as an, I guess, artist or a dancer, right? Like, you're not yeah. going to, there are dancers that just dance, right? And that's great. Yeah. But to, for me, at least, in order for me to really dedicate myself in the execution and the, the concept and the production value, I need to really love this idea. And in order for me to do that, I have to resonate to it. So, yeah. Dark period of time. And, you know, I felt like there's a lot of, things that were out of my power that was like pulling me left and right. And it was inside my head. And yeah. sometimes I just wanted to escape and let myself free, you know, and that That's was so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you're one of the few though, now that I think about it, that really straddle the freestyle and choreography line. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, some people who don't know dance, you know, they think it's just all one thing, but I mean, historically there's, there is a, a differentiation between, you know, choreographer, dancers, and freestylers. And I've seen you do both. And I was just bragging about you today, actually, because I was excited to talk to you. And I told them that when I watch you freestyle, I, it's so rare that I can never, at this point, I can never even remember you doing the same move twice or getting stuck in one spot, in one position, or one, one concept uh, when you start freestyling, right? How do you train that, I guess? Cause like, and does that help out with like the other parts of your dance? Cause you're old school. Yeah. I mean, I think like I was, because I'm self-taught too, for the most part, there was no, like, this is how you do it. Like I was self-taught for the most part of my dance career. It was in my middle to my middle half is when I started being able to afford to take classes. Right. Cause it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. it kind of like, I can't pay. <laughs> eight dollars to take a class like I need to you know so like I guess I was just moving and I was I was dancing and like really you have to emulate the sounds of the music and there's no song that's exactly like another so innately and I'm I'm fortunate to just kind of like get that at a younger age is like I moved to the music you know and then later in my life I got a lot more technical so that's when I got into like you know more tutting and popping and like even my locking styles, you know? Um, so, I mean, I think there are times where I do drill, you know, I do drill, I do repetitions and, and stuff like that, especially when I get technical with my tutting or my popping and stuff like that. But when it comes to just like getting down at the club or whatever, like you'll never see me do anything. I, yeah, unless it's like foundational stuff then, yeah, but. That's why I love going out with you when we live in San Diego. Because yeah. when you are technical, I would say, not even just creatively, but technique-wise, fundamentals, foundational, like you're one of the best that I know. But then you're also one of the just most fun to watch when we go out. Like, and, and not even like, just like party dancing. Like I, you, you just get it. 
a lot. And um, so, but when you're learning these foundations, are you learning in class or are you getting like the OG hand-me-down, like, you know, like you're spending time working through things with, with other dancers? Like, how do you develop your second half of your career? Um, so my second half of the career, like I started taking classes, right? Like, um, you know, I did take, like Wiggles workshops in New York when I was over there in New York. Oh, wow. I did learn like traditional, actually he's more like, he's traditional, but he also taught like modern style. Like he's like very, um, he's just well diverse, like that kind of style of of popping. And then I started taking dance classes, you know? Um, So that kind of like helped, I guess, give me a better understanding of it, you know? Cause back then it was like, the, court, the freestyle scene was hating on yeah. the scene, you know. But <laughs> I'm just like, why? Because it's just just different ways of cooking an egg, right? So I went right. everything. So I just became this big sponge, and so I was taking like I was sessioning with housers. I was popping. I was locking. I was, you know, learning tops, top rock to everything, like as much as I could as a sponge, and and that kind of just let me diversify my style which I have now is more of a locking influenced I'm not even like a traditional locker you know uh locking influenced or you know just a mover in general dude I remember just because you're like you said you're influenced by different styles I remember getting casted in your pieces and thinking to myself what am I doing right now (laughs) Like, (laughs) like I have no idea how to how to make this work and uh it was just, it was so cool to see you though. And then, so how did you get on, onto SG? So I got into SG, um, I think in like end of 2011. Okay. Uh, so I had already decided, me and my ex-girlfriend, um, Sheila, she was on the team too. We decided to move to San Diego um, to dance basically. Yeah. So we drove to San Diego when they had auditions, like super had auditions. And this was like after they won, you know, like HHI, I think they placed second or third. Okay. Or third. I don't know which one, but they did really good. And, you know, like there was a dream team. And also it was, you know, I've always looked up to Java, which Kevin, you know, started Super Galactic and, and he's in Java. So I was like, oh man, this is it. You know, like, let's go. Let's. So we went to audition. And I remember it was like, it was like a 12 hour long audition. What? Um, yeah. That's like a, that's a real, that's a real casting call right there. <laughs> I, think, I think auditions started at like 12 and it didn't end till like 12 or 2 AM or something like that. And even when they called my name, I didn't believe it. I was like bummed because they called my number or name. And <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think it was like, okay, I made it. I thought it was like, all right, you need to leave or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so we so I made it, and then we made it, and then um, couldn't move till like a couple months later. So we moved eventually, and then they were like in the middle of the set, and they just threw us at the in the middle of the set, and just had to like pick up. And what was great about it is like, you know, we had like Wally and Jazzy and Nathan and like Jackie and oh, I love that whole gym. people that were like, all right, we'll catch you up to speed, you know. And they caught us up in like a week. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You guys, I could not have asked for a better time to to jump onto the team for those couple of years because having you as a director with, with everyone else and then just that feeling of like, oh, we'll catch you up. We got it. We'll, we'll make it work. Like that was so good, especially for Taylor and I. Like I said, we just had just moved. We didn't know anybody. Um, we got lucky. I got super lucky because Paul had just moved back. So we got a, a private and because at the time we weren't doing uh, auditions, right? We weren't doing anything like that. So I was like, oh, I hope SGCs. And uh, <laughs> I, was, I was just there, lucky. But uh, the, the thing I really liked about you as a director was before I knew you were you know, working in a creative sense, I could tell by the way you talked to us in rehearsal that you had some type of big boy job right? That you were in charge, that, that you could, you know how to speak to people and present ideas. You're always really clear and articulate. Uh, and I was like, who is this guy? Cause he does not talk like, he's obviously a dancer, but he doesn't talk like a lot of the other dancer directors that I know. So 
how do you do that? Like, how do you balance being a director of a, an elite team? And then, I mean, you were doing some really big things on your professional career too. Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, I'm not, I don't, I definitely never consider myself like a really good dancer. So I needed to communicate well, like, you know, there, there's great directors too, you know, like you see Carlo and King and all those guys, like when they move, you're just like, Oh, he doesn't need to explain anything. I'm just going (laughs) to learn that. (laughs) So I think, um, you know, growing up in, especially when I got into advertising and art direction, you know, the, the whole point of, creating something and presenting it so that people can say yes i get it i'm in it here's my heart and soul like i'm with it yeah it was really important and that helped develop it as well as my childhood like i grew up you know your vietnamese like we, we have a lot of cousins and i was the cousin. so i i grew up in a big household i grew up in big, a lot of cousins and I was always the one in charge of like, all right, take all your cousins and figure out what to do. And <laughs> you had to like figure out games. And so I created these games and I was like, all right, you three, you're in charge of this. So the delegating and that type of leadership role has always been a part of my life, fortunately. That's so cool. Because we're not raised in that way, right? The whole world, like you don't, yeah. you're not taught to be leaders. You're always following, like you're taught to do homework and you, you know, you're taught to listen to your parents. So yeah, yeah. I was very fortunate to have that. And I think like that helped me communicate with super. As a, as a creative, I mean, more so on the professional side, you know, you talked about creating something so that you can show a client and say, Hey, this is what the vision looks like, right? Or this is what it, the, this is what we're going for. How do you take feedback from clients or revision requests, right? As a, Someone who's, it might be seeing some of your work is like, yeah, it's really good. I think, uh, you know, just, you kind of come at it from a dancer's perspective, right? Like, what do you mean? Like, one thing I learned a lot about dancing is like, when you go into, let's say, let's say you go into a battle, yeah. you're going to lose like 90% of the time, right? Because there's going to be that like superstar popper dancer that's just going to crush you. But you yeah, learn- that was you. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. You learn from it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you grow thick skin as you like enter battles and you enter like group competitions. And you know, you realize that like, okay, winning is not everything because sometimes you learn more by losing. It humbles you. It teaches you like, okay, what can I do better? How can I re- regroup with my team and say, you know, what, what can we do better? Let's do it. You know, and there's that like growth, yeah, the journey that's more important. And so in terms of whether it's dance or whether it's advertising, if someone's not going to like your stuff, you're going to be like, okay, what do you like? And how can we get there versus get butt hurt or. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Solution oriented. Yeah. 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 Did you drop in bombs already? (laughs) (laughs) So, so uh, I want to get to the story a little bit, right? So, before we get that breakdown real quick, um, why you moved from San Diego down to TJ? So my cousin, uh, James, he worked at the uh, FedEx corporate office in San Ysidro, which is right next to Mexico. And so they were, he's on importing, exporting business. Yeah. All those shipping containers and stuff like that. Importing and exporting business. Children and uh, <laughs> no, it's like through FedEx, so it's legitimate, you know. And yeah, yeah. And so, and we we're hanging out with his coworkers, and so a lot of people work in America or San Diego come from Mexico, right? Especially along the border, because a fifteen dollar an hour like job is a lot in Mexico. So they, you know, people that have dual citizenships will do that. And so we were hanging out with his coworkers a lot because we were both in San Diego. And so we'd go to like their birthdays, their kids' birthdays, and eventually got close to their families, even their mom's birthdays and stuff like that. And one of them had a nice house. And I was like, how much is this? And he was like, 500 bucks. And I was like, what? Okay. It's like 500 bucks. You a didn't month. say 500 when we were talking earlier. Yeah, that's 500 that, a month. That, that's a rented room in yeah. LA. That's a closet in LA. A closet. If that, yeah. 600. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <right>? so, <laughs> what's the commute like then though because you said you were on your bike a lot back then 
Yeah. So, um, and I also had, we also had global entry. So we had this, we go in this special, like quick. Entry Is that like pre-check for TSA? Yeah. Yeah. It's like pre-test. Okay. Yeah. Check. And then, so from door to door, I, it, it would take like 45 minutes, 55 minutes. That's nothing. That's yeah. easy. Right. And so we were just like, we can save a ton of money. You know, we can get a really nice apartment. And we did. We got like an apartment that was like, I think 1,100 square feet, like two bedroom. We had a view of the city. Wow. It was just really nice, you know, and I get to practice my Spanish. We love the food. The tacos yeah. are amazing, obviously. <laughs> and people are, are super just genuine. Yeah, know? yeah. So like, was it, and this is like, not not getting political, but like during Trump era, right? Like you're going back and forth. Was it tough? Like, I don't know how that works. So we, I was never allowed to go to Mexico in the army because right. they were scared we would get kidnapped. We might have, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, um, the political aspect of it, not just from America, but like Honduras and Venezuela was going through their hardships. So they were sending caravans up through Tijuana and try to like, just go through San Diego, like just pow through it. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the Haitians as well. So there's like, there were all these tents everywhere. And I was just like, what is going on? You know, so not just from, from Americans, but like south of Mexico. So it just all collided right at the border. Yeah. You know, while this wall is being built. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. It was just... I mean, not funny, but it was just, it was crazy, but it was it didn't affect uh, me as a U.S. citizen because yeah, I'm yeah. Citizen, so I can go in and out. Like, please. That's good. Yeah. Can you, see, can you hear my son crying? I cannot. That's good. He's wailing <laughs> right now. Yeah? <laughs> I think he's just hungry. Oh. I think uh, his grandparents are wanting too many hugs and kisses. <laughs> he knows how to work him. <laughs> he will. <laughs> the hell uh, Okay, so you're in Mexico, you're having this baller apartment in my mind, like Fulton's place probably looks like, without the killing, like an American psycho apartment, like just super clean, up to date. Um, and you're going back and forth, what, five, five days a week? Yeah, you know, before COVID, I was driving back and forth, you know, yeah, yeah. COVID hit, and then I was just there for the most part. I mean, I could still go back and forth. Yeah. I was... Um, like me and my ex-girlfriend were together, so I would visit her, and I would like sometimes go visit my friends out here. So oh, was, like, she wasn't living in Mexico with you? No, no, no. She was in San Diego. So I would say like three days out of the week, I was still coming back and forth in San Diego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened different the day, I'm guessing you got pulled over? Yeah. So, Let's talk about that. <laughs> the juicy part, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, like I told you, I was – at this point, I was driving my car uh, back and forth, you know, um, and I was going to get dinner with my friend Miguel, who's actually my roommate right now. Um, so when you go through the border, borders like this, right? And you go through and you drive and then you go through the uh, Mexican border check and right across is the American side, right? You kind of get, yeah. get checked usually once and you just drive through. So I go in through the Mexican side and like checked and they're like, okay, routine checkup. Yeah. Okay. All right. Drive forward. And then I drive forward and then into the American side and they were like, oh yeah, pop your trunk. We're going to just check your trunk. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I pop my trunk. And then one person looks in and then there's just like 10 cop cars that surround my car. Right. And they're like, one guy's like biggest dude. He's like hands outside your vehicle. And I, I look around and I'm just like, hey, talking to you know, <laughs> no one around me. Yeah, and I was like, oh shit, he's talking to me. And so I rolled down my window, put my arms out. They like grabbed the window. Oh my gosh! Open the door, like cuff me, throw me to the you know, throw me like out of my car basically. Yeah, move me into this group holding cell. This was like three months ago, and. Um, <laughs> And so there's like, there's probably like six or seven other people. There's a big cell, you know, like just the office and we're cuffed against the wall, you know? And I like have no idea what's going on. Three hours pass. Nobody says anything to me. Once in a while, there's a, you know, Homeland Security agent that'll come out and talk to each of the person in Spanish. 
And like, they'll basically say, you're arrested because of this reason and because of that reason. And some people would break down, you know? And I'm just like, what? I'm just trying to be calm as possible. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know what's going on, right? Have you called anyone at this point? I mean, does anyone else know? No, nobody knows. Like, okay. a friend who I'm supposed to have dinner with is probably wondering what's going on. That's stood up. Yeah. So a couple hours later, they move another holding cell, another holding cell. Eventually, I questioned for hours, you know, um, and they were just like basically told me that I was arrested for transporting narcotics. And I was like, okay, well, did I have like a gummy bear or something that I dropped? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I didn't know what was going on. They're like, no, that you had a almost a hundred pounds of methamphetamine in your trunk. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, I was telling my buddy, my barber this morning, like, hey, I'm I mean, because of this this kind of story. And I didn't know how much the weight was. So I I BS'd it. I was like, probably like a hundred hundred pounds. That's a lot of do you know how much money that is? It's like a quarter million dollars worth of drugs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you had no idea it was in your trunk? No. And when he told me that, I laughed because I was like, I chuckled, you know, I was just like, you're fucking with me, right? <laughs> I was like, there's no way, you know? And he's like, yeah, it was hidden in your, like where your spare tire is. So underneath yeah. that cover. And, I, and he goes, and there's a, there was a tracker as well. So I guess what they do is, you know, they watch the border, they see who goes in and out, they put a tracker in your car, wait till you're gone. And in Mexico, you valet your car everywhere. You, know, you don't park your car. And I didn't like, know that. Yeah, because it's like, it's dangerous, you know? So you valet yeah. your car, you make sure it's like in the garage or whatever. But those guys also have access to your keys, so they can do whatever. Oh so my I, gosh. Yeah. So I tell them, you know, like everywhere I've been for the last month, where, when I work, what do I do, blah, 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 blah. And eventually they let me go, right? They're just like, he, the agent goes, all right, I believe you, you know, we're going to let you go but you have a court date still next month and you could be sentenced up to 10 years in prison. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 10 years and you have no idea. So I'm guessing they, they confiscate it and they give your car back. No. <laughs> still at the border. My phone is still at the border. That's why I, oh, that's why you have the, the other phone. It is, yeah. It's not a good look that you have a burner phone right now. I know. I know. <laughs> so I'm just like, yeah. And so, you know, I asked them, I was like, before, when they interviewed, when they were like interrogating, I was like, well, you know, can I talk to my attorney? They're like, you can waive your Miranda rights or talk to your attorney, you know, but if you talk to your attorney, you have to wait till tomorrow when we move you to the prison. <laughs> and then you'd have to get your hold of your attorney to get here by 8 a.m. for your 9 a.m. court date. Otherwise, we'd give you a public defender. And I was like, is that shady? That seems weird. Probably. I don't know. Whatever they said. But that was a just, good tactic. Yeah, but I didn't know. You know, I was just like, well, of course I'm going to talk to you guys and let you guys know what I know. Because you're innocent. There's no way my attorney would even come to San Diego by then. So I'm not going to go with the public defender. Yeah. So I told them, you know, everything like I knew and I gave them even access to my phone because I was like, I have nothing to hide. Yeah. And so eventually that's when they let me go and they're like, you know, next month is your court date. They gave me all my stuff in a box. They're like, we're going to need to hold your phone and your car because it's evidence. And they're like, here you go. At three in the morning, they let me out. And I'm like outside of Mexico border, basically on the American side. Like there's no taxis, no Ubers because of COVID. Yeah. So I'm just walking. I'm like only three phone numbers written on my hand. Oh, they let right? you do that? Yeah, because you have to like call them. <laughs> but I don't have any like, how am I going to call anyone? There's no pay phones. <laughs> <laughs> I can well, imagine I, you doing that, though. You should huh? just dance in the corner for some change. And there's nobody else. Three in the morning. <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at the border of Mexico. What am I going to get? Pesos? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah. so where'd you walk to? So I just walked and walked and walked. And I was like, I finally found a taxi. You know, I was just like, hey, take me to, you know, like this hotel that I know of. Yeah. I'm there next day I called my cousin who's an attorney and she connected me with attorneys from LA and San Diego and eventually got an attorney and then um, got the case dismissed because they didn't really have a story they didn't really yeah. have a case. I gave them all the information they had 
So like straight it. possession is not enough to convict you? No, they have to have a, a reasonable doubt that, you know, that yeah, I don't know. Like, I have no evidence of, like, me talking to any cartel members or drug yeah. dealers, you know. That's my only reference for drugs is watching Narcos. Yeah, so it's it's very real. Like, you know, people say, you know, I mean, even Texas, like, it's a huge, oh, yeah. it's, there's tons, tons, I mean, if not more drugs being transported through there, I think. But, like, all that stuff is very real, you know, from the murders to yeah. kidnappings to but you just, you don't see it. Do you ever get worried that because they're tracking it, they probably know that they had a quarter million dollars worth of drugs taken by the border patrol that they would come find you? So yeah, that's the other thing. Like when I was in the hotel, I talked to my attorney, you know, the attorneys that I was talking to and they were like, you know, keep moving from hotel to hotel because they could be looking for you. So oh, hell no, fun. Yeah, so I'm like looking over my shoulders to not get killed by the cartel. I don't know whether or not the U.S. government is going to screw me over because they have everything of my belongings, you know. Yeah. I could be sentenced to 10 years in prison. The only thing I had was, like, you know, like my job. <laughs> yeah. And what could happen, you know. That's so that, insane. So did you already have your court date? Did I, what? Already have your court date? I mean, so you got dismissed and everything, right? Yeah, so I didn't have to go to trial. And if I did go have to go to trial, it would have gone for like years because of COVID. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But you but you're not stuck in prison the whole time out on bail or anything. Like you're you're from you're roaming. Yeah, I was roaming. Typically, you would be in prison. You would be you would be there until your court date. Um, but because the agent like believed me, he's like, typically I would not do this, but I'm gonna let you go because I really do believe in you. What are the chances that those drugs are already back on the street? Those drugs, doubt it. But the amount of drugs that was on me is not a lot. So apparently, what? And I was doing research on this. So I'm a case. I'm a blind mule case, right? Is when you don't know, you're kind of like you put. There's mules, which is like people who like swallow drugs and put it. The up Clint Eastwood. Yes, like the movie. Yeah. And then there's blind mules, is when you don't. Know. They could put bricks of magnets under your car or whatever. A blind burro. A blind burro, yeah. <laughs> so the there's like there's people that have like you know bricks of marijuana or bricks of cocaine that are like just stuck under your car. Those that's like the small amount, right? How much there's, is a brick weigh? Of let's, let's let's say coke. I have no idea. I don't know how much it is. That's crazy. hundred pounds of meth though. Is that like in a suitcase? Like like give me a visual. I like, would say suitcase amount. Yeah, like full suitcase, if not two suitcases. Oh shit! Yeah, because you know when you travel, right? Yeah. Bag, and they're like fifty pound limit, and that was pretty heavy. Imagine two of those. Okay, but it's not like a duffel. It's not like a nineteen ninety suitcase, right? Like a like a briefcase. Whoa! I mean, I didn't. I don't know. I I didn't. <laughs> it, yeah, like, here's your drugs that was in your car. I didn't even. It could. It could have not even been there. Are you so? Are you like chill now? Like it's been a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. So. Case is dismissed. Um, I'm just waiting for them to release my car, my phone. What are they waiting on? So when you get arrested, right, you go through this whole, like, process as a human being. When your evidence or belongings, it kind of goes through this whole different process. Yeah. So especially with vehicles, right? It's like when your car gets impounded, right? You park somewhere, you have to pay every day, right? Okay. Because it's in a lot. Because it's they outsource this to a private lot. Yeah. We do the same thing. So with my car, I'm also accruing fees. No, you're not. So yeah, this is so this is this is the probably the most interesting part of our interview is this car thing because a lot of people when they get arrested they get their car impounded, right? Okay. Keeps your car for who knows how long. They also know how much your car is worth, right? So let's say my, I have it, I drive they a They can city. sell your car if it exceeds the lien or the worth. Right, so my car is worth like 11,000 right now, 10,800. They gave me a letter and said, the maximum fine you would get for your car is $11,000. So in order for, get, for me to get my car out, I have to pay $11,000. Oh, they're not even gonna wait. They're charging you 11. 
the max if I if I was to accrue that much, right? Yeah. And then on top of that, I have to pay ten thousand. I would have to pay ten thousand eight hundred to my bank because that's how much I owe the bank. Oh my gosh! Right. So typically, what and the government does is they just hold it, right? Because they have no rush. Why to the rush, especially during COVID? Yeah. So a lot of people. Imagine if I was a janitor, right? Yeah. And I had a truck, and I still owed like two thousand dollars, but I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Oh my gosh! Right. And the government says you owe two thousand five hundred dollars. Yeah. He's just gonna give up his car because he can't afford it. So does that hit your credit too then? No, I mean. Well, let me, I guess you're making payments on a car you don't own anymore. Right. But then on top of that, if you can't go to work, you're going to get let go. You get let go. You can't pay for your kids and your family. So people get <sighs> messed up. And I've, I've been reading up a lot of people, especially, you know, blue collar workers, like they get jacked. Like, and that's how they, like poor people stay poor and the rich. Yeah, yeah. I was very fortunate, like, because I had the agent, like, siding on me. He's, he talked to them, and I only have to pay 500 bucks. But they're 500 bucks from them. They've been holding it this whole time. The whole time, yeah. Is that in writing? That is in writing, yeah. Everything <sighs> is in writing, man. Trust me. I know you are. <laughs> yeah. That's the crazy – I even think about the impound thing. Because I remember in college, I was dating this girl. And there was never any parking around her apartment. And yeah. I remember my car got towed probably three or four times in that week and we'll go get it every other day. And it'd be like a couple hundred bucks every single day. I just was like, this is, we dated, so it was worth it. But I was just like, man, this is insane. (laughs) Like how fast it could rack up. And I remember seeing cars in there and hearing these guys in the back talk about how long certain cars had been there and reading the chart about how much they can charge per day for holding. It is insane how fast it racks up. Yeah. Makes you wonder why those dump yards are not made of better material. Like they should yeah. be making so much money. They, those dump yards make a ton of money. That's insane. I wonder yeah. why, why. I wonder why tow truck drivers are so sad. Then why are they so mean? Well, because they're the cousins. They're not the owners. <laughs> there's the, there's That's some southern driver. stuff. Yeah, the <laughs> and then there's the cousins that are like, yo, I need you to go pick it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's insane. Well, I'm glad you're good now. Paul was telling me a little bit about it after you and I had talked, and I was like, what is happening? Yeah, to, to film right now. And I was telling Paul the coolest part about the story, besides the car and like everything else, um, and in my mind, seeing you as a cowboy is uh, uh just how cool you are about it like you're just i've never known you to stress outwardly yeah uh or really even raise your voice or like show an extreme emotion like are you are you pissed off the last two months or is it just mm-hmm. your demeanor is always like okay well i guess i gotta get through this yeah, I mean, I was definitely at one point, you know, when my attorney was like, hey, you have to prepare for anything, you know, and I was what like, does that mean? That like, means, like jail. I mean, yeah, jail, like people chasing me, cartel chasing me, oh my God. You know, like attorney fees, like I literally, okay, this, this is what in my head, right? This is what I'm preparing for. Okay. Death, death in prison, <laughs> bankrupt, right? Wait, death. death in prison isn't worse than death? <laughs> yeah, because death in prison, you get raped and then killed. Right? <laughs> and, then, and then bankrupt or best case scenario, pay a butt ton of money to attorney fees, but get let go, which is where I, I, I am, right? Yeah. So with all of those kind of things in my mind, I'm like, everything else in life is minute, right? Oh, uh, okay. Like work problems, it's like, okay, we can figure this out. It's going to be okay. You know what I mean? And I mean, even with dance, right? Like before that, like, oh, yeah, yeah. I think because, you know, I grew up in a big family and very poor in Oakland, right? We're always solution oriented. Yeah. Poor, but we never felt poor because we had family. And so I was always raised that way. It's like, what can you do to make the best out of the worst? I love that. Yeah. 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 I will say, just sharing the, the Vietnamese experience with you. Um, 
the amount of things you can use a tub of butter for or the the actual container for amazing right so that's <laughs> the type of recycling that we do in our own house or like ingenuity uh is just amazing to me and uh yeah just finding a way always i remember my grandma i think it was one day i was like i was young i was probably salty that i don't know probably like didn't have like the newest toy or something and instead of giving me the uh you know kids are somewhere some kids don't have toys speech or you know whatever it was um i remember her making toys are like chopsticks or something yeah. and then like that was that was the lessons like okay well we can make our own like that's that's so cool man that you let that carry through um hey do you want to say hi to taylor yeah yeah oh it's about to be bath time what up taylor what's up yeah hi <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hello. I'm naked, Daddy. I know. <laughs> he's he's modeling right now. Wow, he's very stern right now. He's like fist bump. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Say hello. Hello. Maybe if we put a blanket on him. Oh no! Run free, my child. <laughs> so, how's parenting life? <sighs> I will say time is passing by so fast right now. Yeah. You are too much. Look. This <laughs> cover up, cover up. Um, better not pee on me. <laughs> Parenting life is crazy, man. It's like, I feel like, I feel like we're the same people, which is something I was like, wondering when we were pregnant, like, hey, do we change completely? But I will say the priorities are way different now. Yeah. And I'm completely okay with that. You know? Like we we moved and I I changed jobs, you know, and everything the last two, three months and like everything was like it was like a lot of changes. I mean it wasn't like cartel crazy like you, but it was like a lot of changes and I remember thinking like okay this could be stressful but then I know I'm doing it all for him and for the family and so because of that I feel like you could okay say bye bye Taylor bye Elijah bye 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 <laughs> I'll see you after oh. your bath okay bye <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um we want that oh did you ever see that movie big fish yes so i love that movie because there's that scene when he's looking at his own death through the witch's eye mm -hmm. and then every time he's about to die he goes you know this is not how i go yeah right so that's like it's like parenting to me like his level of fearlessness about dying it's like this is not how it's going to happen so like any decision i have to make now when it comes to parenting i'm just like we will not end up as a dead family, like homeless, poor. I mean, I don't mind being poor or homeless. I'm just saying like, you know, like in through those hardships, like this is not how it goes. Like I'm going to do everything I can to make it work because this is not how we go as a family. And it's like, it's kind of cool. It's like a, a fearlessness about it, but it's also like, it's also stressful, right? Because the wrong decisions i guess you can't really just think about wrong decisions or right decisions you just commit to a course of action after figuring out pros and cons and then you just go right and, uh, yeah i don't know i mean what's up with you man when i mean no i mean that's i'm so i'm happy for you guys you, <laughs> you did get to move and you like change jobs and you know and yeah and seems at least from what i've been seeing is like you guys have been doing well for yourself so thanks man yeah it's it's been a lot i i will say you know maybe a year or two years ago before he was born i i think my main purpose especially as a, as a man thinking about it was hey get a decent job or a well-paying job at least if you can you know you don't have to love it you should like it you know and then put the time and the money back into the family right because the like the immigrant asian in me is like the money equals freedom and time down the road 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's hundred percent right still. However, there was a point when I was becoming increasingly miserable mm. in my job. And then I started noticing I was taking some of that home. Mm. And so, um, you know, I had to put my money where my mouth was and be like, okay, well, we're going to make some changes. And so I changed everything, you know, except for the family life um, in like a two month window. Wow. And, and luckily, you know, we did our due diligence right. And so we came out on top on almost every, actually in every category. Okay. Um, thank goodness. But it was scary because if I was 22 years old, I mean, I'm sure you're the same way. If I was 22 years old, I have no problem moving, leaving, like all these things. <laughs> a, lot more, a lot more to take care of, you know? Yeah. I don't so, know. I mean, I can't believe you're 38. Yeah. Dude, oh, you, yeah. Look, you look the same as when I first met you. <laughs> Thanks, <man. laughs> same too. I was like, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, I got some grays now. Is that why you're dyeing your hair blue? No, not at all. Actually, you I got guess, good hair still. Thanks, dude. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I definitely have like a couple of grays, you know, here. But um, as long as it's short, you can't really see it. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> your hair, your gray is like right here, which is nice. I love it. I've had that since I was in my middle 20s. I never knew I had it. And so I got out of the army and I started growing it out and it was already there. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I had no idea. Yeah. Well, we, we miss you, man. I hope we get to see you in person soon. Tay and I talk about you once in a while. We talk to Jack every once in a while and yeah, crew and we miss you guys. And Well, you know, Crystal's moving out there. I think she's coming to visit us in a couple of weeks or right okay. after Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm lucky enough to like to teach every once in a while out here. So she's going to sub one of my classes. Nice. And the way she can get down because she's another one of those. Yeah, for sure. Not, well, not one of these days, man, like I've, I've actually never really gone to Texas. So really it's everyone from California is moving. I know everybody. My cousin's there. Oh, really? Where? Uh, I think he's in Austin. Not sure. Austin's like the Bay. Yeah. 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 But with more space. It's crazy because he was working in the Bay and he has this, an increased salary and, Texas, he has like he's just making it. Yeah, know? I mean, and cost of living's cheaper. I mean, I don't know about Austin because it's pretty comparable, I think, as yeah. far as like how much houses cost out there. But I remember when I moved from LA to Houston, uh, without any difference because there's no state tax, right? Mm-hmm. And cost of living, I got a raise for just moving, and then <laughs> the house that we bought, the mortgage was significantly lower than the rent I was paying on my loft in downtown LA yeah like a lot <laughs> like this is crazy so come through and now that you could probably work you know remotely from anywhere yeah yeah no definitely i think uh right now the thing that i have to get in order is my car and my phone <laughs> <laughs> before i decided to go into more luxury trips Dude, if you move they're gonna be like he's running he's running yeah yeah did they give you did the cops give you that speech of I probably wouldn't leave town anytime soon. Well, they said, you know, I probably wouldn't do any drugs, you know, until this thing. <laughs> like, yeah, so, but right after you're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, it was a wild ride, but I think, you know, like I, I love Mexico. Like I actually yeah. went back last week because I had to close out my bills. Oh, yeah. Because when, when I got arrested, it was like, I still had my apartment, you know? <laughs> Like, and my cousin had to close everything out and I just had to close some stuff up. Um, so I'm clear to go, to go anywhere. It's just more of every time I come back into the States, I have to go into secondary. Did we, did we message you? We might have messaged you and you may not have got it on your phone about the wedding. I probably didn't get it because I don't have my old phone. Okay. Cause I don't have to be like, Oh, I, I don't know where them thing went. No, I definitely messaged you. Yeah. Some people, but yeah, so March 27th. March 27th. Is the date right now? It might get pushed, obviously, but uh, as of right now, and it'll be, it'll be chill. It's in my, uh, my uncle's backyard. He's a couple acres. Okay. And so we'll do something nice. We'll okay. get all, all the homies out. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got to see my naked boy for a little bit. I know, bit. man. He jumps in the back. Man. <laughs> yeah. So when he watches this back and he sees him, his naked self and feels embarrassed or proud, depending on, you know, what he's feeling that day. Yeah. Uh, what What would you want him to know? Because I think we've already dropped a couple of gems here. Right. 
So you can double down any of those or anything else, but what would you want him to know growing up? Uh, I think, you know, you brought up like what we could do with butter and how <laughs> infinite possibilities. And I'm going to steal this from um, Catch Me If You Can. I don't know if you've seen that movie. With but, uh, Leonardo? Leonardo DiCaprio. And I, one of the favorites. Yeah. And um, who's his dad? Who, did, who plays his dad again? Um, um, uh, more cowbell guy. Christopher Walken. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he said this thing, and, you know, I think this applies to everyone, and hopefully Elijah's work ethic too, but two mice was stuck in a deep bucket of butter. <laughs> and they were like, how do we get out, you know? Um, uh, sorry, in, in a deep bucket of liquid or something. Like that. I don't know. And they, and they were like, how do we get out? So they swam and swam around in circles, and they turned that liquid into butter and it became solid and they got out. So <laughs> that hopeful thinking and work ethic will always get you there. I love that. That's, that's everything I know about you in a story. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Thanks for taking time to speak with me today, man. Yeah, man. It's, thanks for hitting me up and it's always good to catch up. You know, I so, know you're, you're one of the, like, I don't know if we ever told you this, but I think you were like one of the biggest reasons why we stayed on as long as we did and, and stayed around just San Diego in general, as long as we did. Like, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed being under your directorship. Thank you, man. That, that means a lot. And really it does. Cause you know, when you are in that position, you it's, you just don't know. You just no, can't. I love it. And I knew you were always in a good spot, you know, emotionally or with the right purpose. Cause I remember, and I remember I asked you like about working and like dancing and stuff. Cause I was like trying to figure out the balance and I was showing up late for rehearsals yeah. and you pulled me to the side and you're like, Hey, what's going on? Like, we need you here and stuff. And I remember, you know, thinking, Oh my gosh, like Fung really cares. Like I didn't even take it as like a, a like as a, as a talking to us. It's like Fung really cares and I need to be here for this team. And like, you know, I, I always appreciate that you, one had the courage to do that as a friend and as a leader. Cause I know that can be difficult sometimes for people to have those kind of conversations. And I, I love that you did that. And I, I recognized it and I was like, man, yeah, like Fung is, he's a different breed. Thank you, man. That means a lot. And, and I'm sure you've <laughs> either already have applied it to what you're doing and stuff like that. So I, I just glad that like we got to go on this journey and grow from it and just do weird shit. Cause that's what I was <laughs> I was just like, we're going to do some weird stuff. Not sure people are going to like it. Not even sure it's going to look good, but we're just going to do it. <laughs> yeah.